All right, everybody, this is Kirk Schlichter's podcast, Unredacted, here at Town Hall VIP. I am joined by my little friend, Barky, who's right here. Say hi, Barky. Okay, Barky's not barking. And uh, I'm sitting outside on a beautiful day. You probably hear birds singing, you know, the wind blowing, trees swaying. Oh, Bitey has joined us. Hi, Bitey. How are you doing? So, um, (laughs) what's in the news? Well, the first news is I really hope that you're taking full advantage of Town Hall VIP and checking out my amazing video, which I put out every uh, Thursday night. It's like six, seven minutes. They keep getting longer. It's the stream of courteousness where I just say I just talk. And you're going, okay, how is that different from Unredacted, the Town Hall VIP podcast with Kurt Schlichter? And uh, the difference is, A, I don't swear quite as much, and B, it's on video. So you get the full uh, the full Kurt. You get my full range of emotions. I'm uh, kind of the Jim Carrey of conservatism. Uh, my face tells it all. It, uh, it's, very, uh, it's very emotive. This is why I'm a poor poker player, by the way. I am a terrible poker player. In fact, I don't really remember how to play poker because I'm so bad at it, I won't do it. I don't do things I'm bad at, but I do things I'm good at, and I'm good at writing, uh, he said modestly, uh, but accurately. I have written, and you can hear it, uh, read it today, a new town hall column called The Coma Before the Storm. Get it? Coma, calm. See, I like, I like wordplay. I like wordplay. That's kind of one of the things I enjoy. I see writing as like my Sudoku. Other people, you know, they want to figure out little puzzles. I want to write something uh, that takes words and uses them in a way that no one else has. I, uh, my goal is, with my writing, one of my many goals, is uh, uh, that if you read one of my columns or one of my books, and we'll talk about my books in a minute, because uh, I'm going to get to those. I got a lot of things to cover. If... Um, if you read one of my columns or my books, you're going to go, this was a Kurt Schlichter thing. Kurt Schlichter wrote this. No one else could have written this. No one else sounds like that. No one else does that. No one else mixes uh, incredibly incisive ideas with, uh, you know, basically mom jokes, which is kind of my, ooh, ooh. How do you pronounce that? O-E-U-R-V-E, ooh. Oh, I don't really know. I'm not French. Speaking of French, David French sucks. David French is out talking uh, again uh, for reasons that are unclear to me about uh, critical race theory and how it's a terrible, terrible idea and totally against conservative principles, trademark, to oppose it. We're, we're, we're not supposed to go to our schools and say you can't teach our kids critical race theory. Now, this is interesting to me. And he, he puts it in First Amendment kind of things. He says, well, you know, we keep we can't ban speech. We can't ban ideas. Yeah, we can. Now, here's the thing. Somebody's going to teach ideas in schools. So the question isn't whether ideas are going to get taught. They are going to get taught. The question is what ideas are going to get taught. And more specifically, who is going to get to pick those ideas? David French's argument, such as it is, and this is a guy who's, you know, I'm not saying that Raul the pool boy is you know a thing i just i'm not gonna i'm not gonna not gonna go down that road just you know you know his uh his watching Raul the pool boy lifestyle is just not my concern i'm saying that somebody's gotta pick the ideas and david french thinks the ideas should be picked by unionized marxist teachers and that the real problem is us objecting to them picking their 
uh, pushing their ideas. Now he's like, well, the answer is better ideas. Okay, how do you propose to have them taught? Where do these better ideas... What is the physical mechanism whereby the better ideas of which you speak are presented to our children in schools? Because it ain't going to come through the teachers. Remember, the teachers think you're racist. They, they, they're sitting there apologizing because they, uh, you know, uh, some Apache used to own the ground that the school's built on. And, of course, they lost the war, so therefore they lost the ground. But, you know, that's, that's how the game's played, but apparently not anymore. Uh, hey, who are the Apache? You know, if, if the Indians are, like, owned the land and it was wrong to, like, you know, Europeans to conquer them, who owned the land before the Indians? Right? Was there somebody else there? Why are the Indians more entitled than the people they took it from? Or if they took it from other Indians? I mean, doesn't that break the chain of title? If it used to be like a Mohawk uh, area, and then the Apaches came in and took it, and then the Europeans came and took it from the Apaches, did the Apaches really get wronged in this bizarre and morally illiterate moral calculus? Anyway, just, just throwing ideas out there. Remember, all ideas are good ideas, including uh, uh, transsexuals twerking at your kids while reading to them during Drag Queen Story Hour at the local library, according to David French, whose idea of conservatism doesn't involve conservatism. Anyway, somebody's got to get their ideas taught. I propose that we, the people, vote on that rather than, you know, outsource that decision-making process to a bunch of unelected teachers. Because some ideas are going to get taught. Who, who should decide? David French's, uh, you know, ap aptly uh, surrender theory, where we, we surrender to, to whoever uh, 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 had it last, right? The teachers are in charge, so we're morally obligated to allow them to do whatever they want without input. Why is that? It, it, we, it, we would outsource that decision-making thing to them. I don't give up my right. I have a right to a say. And if somebody's going to talk about what the curriculum is, I, I have a right to do that. And it is not suppressing other ideas. But I, not, not that I wouldn't suppress other ideas. I would uh, uh, gladly suppress uh, uh, racist critical race theory. I think it has no place in any government uh, organization, including the military. I'm sure we will get to that. So, I, you know, I, I, David French's idea, yeah, he always, he, like all these never-Trump sissies, they always cloak it in some sort of righteous, you know, principle. Here's my conservative principle. Are you ready for it now? If you read me and you listen to me, you know my conservative principle, but I don't think we can ever say it quite enough. My conservative principle is as follows. I will have no conservative principle that makes me less free. I am under no moral obligation to observe any principle that ends up with me being a serf. If the punchline is Kurtz in chains, whether literal or figurative, I don't want to hear the joke. That's that's how this that's how this works. Okay, David French's true conservatism trademark uh, is not only useless, but it's actually fellow traveling. It's fifth columnist stuff, right? It is a leftist invasion of conservative thought with the idea of internally disrupting us. Now, am I playing along by paying attention to him? No, I don't think there's any problem with using David uh, French as a training aid, as a, as a cautionary example. I think it's a, a good idea. 
that he is a useless sissy, a hypocrite, a whiner, and a bad writer, he's just lame and boring, uh, is kind of beyond the point. His ideas, since we're here to talk about ideas, are terrible, and they're poorly thought through. At what point, David French, if you can pry your way out of your shame closet and watching uh, Raoul Cavort, and I don't mean that literally, I don't know if his pool boy's named Raoul. I just feel that that's probably a thing. Just That's like an opinion. Anyway, uh, I don't see any kind of intellectual coherence to it. He, 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 he and the rest of the Never Trump guys clothe themselves as some sort of these ideological warriors, yet amazingly, everything always works out to their personal ideology. And they never call out the other side. And they call us out falsely. Now, there's money in it. There's a kind of fame in it. I'm, I'm sure he, he gets some attention on MSNBC. I, would, I don't watch MSNBC, so I don't really know. I know Charlie Sykes appears on it. Um, you know, and of course, I'd, I'd sooner seek Charlie Sykes' uh, uh, marriage advice uh, than I would watch MSNBC, CNN, so whatever. Maybe you could get on with Brian Stelter, who is a potato, and share some tater thoughts. I, by the way, I want credit for inventing Brian Stelter as a potato. I know other people had kind of been around the edges of it, but I'm the guy who made it a thing. And it's always fun to see other people calling him tater or calling him a potato. Uh, that's mine, and I want that. Also, Ahoy is mine. There's a lot of things I want credit for, damn it. I got a giant ego, and it needs to be fed. Feed my ego! So, where were we? The army. The army. Uh, there, there is a battalion commander in uh, <coughs> the 4th Infantry Division. Uh, the, I think it's 1st of the 8th Infantry, uh, who is, uh, just took command, and he announced, uh, you know, all whites are racist. Uh, and a number, and he's very, very woke. He's a lieutenant colonel. And uh, what a piece of fucking garbage. All right? Now... He was exposed by my friend Jack Posobiec in Human Events. Good job, Jack. Uh, probably by his own troops. So he's basically Niedermeyer, right? Instead of killing him by his own troops, he's canceled by his own troops. Uh, the army is looking into it. He hasn't been removed, though. Now, if he got up there and said, uh, uh, you know, all black soldiers are terrible, he would properly be removed. Says about white soldiers, he's not. Right, it just kind of shows the moral bankruptcy of our army. I was a battalion commander. I commanded one battalion, and at one point I commanded two battalions at once. And it was the greatest job in the army. I was a lieutenant colonel. The nice thing about being a lieutenant colonel, it's kind of a black oak leaf, is you got the rank to do stuff, and you've got the heat to, to, to take care of your guys and to make things happen. But it's not so much heat that you can't you know, slide under a truck while somebody's changing oil, and say, hey, specialist, hey, sir, how's it going? Pretty good. What are you doing here? How, how's this work? How, does the, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you do your job? I don't, I don't know how to change truck on a, a oil on a five-ton. Show me how to do it. Well, sir, you do this. First you do that. And, and you, you can still get in it. People don't freak out. I mean, they're respectful that you're a battalion commander. That is a big deal. Okay? You get a lot of, uh, you know, you get a lot of attention. You know, everyone will come to their feet when you walk in. I remember uh, I was a new battalion commander. And I had a, a, a full colonel brigade commander. He's very good. And I learned a lot from this guy. 
just a great guy. Became a general, one of the good ones. And uh, I remember I had a command post going during an exercise, and I told uh, I told the troops, "Hey, don't call everybody to attention when I come in." And uh, the brigade commander found out about this, and he, a good guy, he goes, "Kurt, I, I got to talk to you, sir. Of course, because I heard you're not having your guys call call it to call the talk to attention when you walk in." And I said, "Yeah, you know, I, I just I kind of find that." You know, I, I just don't have the ego needs. Kurt, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about your needs. You need to, when you walk in, you are the commander, you need to focus attention. They need to see that you're, know that you're there and listen for your guidance because you may walk in and have something to say. Maybe I've told you, hey, Kurt, you've got a new mission. I need you to uh, send your cav guys out here, uh, you know, send a, a Bravo troop up this way, whatever. Uh, you need to use the power of your job to do the thing. It's not about your ego. It's not because you're a big deal that they're coming to attention. It's because you're commander and they need to hear what you have to say. I'm like, fuck, okay, yeah, I get it. And they would call to attention. I said, Addies, real quick. And we just go about our thing. So command is kind of a, command is the most rewarding thing I ever did in the Army. Battalion command was the greatest job I ever had. You could work closely with people. You got to do things. You had influence. Uh, you could build a team. And I built a great team. It sounds like I'm taking credit. I'm not. Half the guys are handed to you, and you don't get a choice. The other half, eh, I, I, I kind of knew how the system worked. So I could manipulate things and say, hey, you know, you know, Major, you know, you really need to go to Division to round out your career. Oh, okay. And move them up to Division, bring over a guy I wanted from somewhere else. You, ha you had a lot of authority to do stuff, but you could also build a team. And the best part was, I, you know, I, I, I would like, you know, I'd call myself dead during an exercise. i go, okay, hey, I just stepped on a landmine. I'm dead. Drive on, guys. And, and they would operate without me, you know, for an hour or so. Because, you know, in real life, you know, battalion commanders get killed. We had a, a battalion commander uh, uh, from a Cal Guard battalion in Iraq. He, he got blown up. I mean, he, he went to a, he, he got killed by an IED. And, you know, the XO had to go take charge. You know, commanders die. So you, you, you're important, but you can't make yourself essential. You have to accept authority and power, but you've got to do it in a way that you understand that it's on loan to you. I never thought of myself as a colonel. And that's why I get kind of uncomfortable when people call me colonel on TV. I had the rank. I, I earned it to the extent you earn it. Uh, I have a you know, a, a statutory right to call myself Colonel Retired. But I always felt that the Oakleaf and then the Eagle were loaned to me to do a job. It wasn't who I was. And that's why some people are like, you were a Colonel? Well, yeah. And when I was on the job, you know, you, you knew I was a Colonel. When I'm off the job, I'm, I'm Kurt Schlichter. I'm, I'm not Colonel Kurt Schlichter. That's a part of me, but that's not who I am. And I got to tell you, man, I love being a battalion. Oh my gosh, it was I couldn't wait, you know, for a mission, uh, even a drill weekend. I loved it because you know, and I didn't even go into my office. I literally had nothing in my office. I would wander around the whole time, interacting with troops, talking to commanders, talking to sergeants, talking to everybody. They got used to having me around, and that's how I learned things. I wouldn't have meetings because I was always walking around between units or driving around. I mean, I had vehicles so if you know bravo troops over there i go bravo and i go over to delta 
Uh, then I go to the HHC headquarters, headquarters company, you know, the maintenance section, supply section, fuel section, whatever. And I'd learn how they did their jobs. Uh, I remember I walked through the food service area. We had a very nice kitchen because we had a very new armory. Uh, and we also had good field stuff. I, I mean, these guys were great cooks. But I'd walk through and talk to them, and they'd be like, so what are you doing here? I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? Well, no, the colonel never comes here. I'm like, well, why not? It's part of my unit. That's why I never understood Abu Ghraib, right? Because there's bad shit going on in the unit, and the general there, and my old brigade commander, different one, was literally there when she got fired. He was standing there in Iraq when she got fired for gross incompetence. Her excuse about how that kind of bullshit could go on in her, her was, well, there were areas I wasn't allowed to go into. Do you think there would be an area, I as the commander of a facility that I was responsible for, if I'm responsible for the whole thing, that I wouldn't go into? If they say, you know, you can't go in here, it's a special forces area. Okay, I'm not responsible for what goes in there. I'm not going in there. If it is something I'm responsible for, I'm going in there. And, and, she, and, and they felt comfortable at 3 a.m., you know, torturing these prisoners because they knew nobody was going to walk in. Now, my guys were not inclined to that kind of bullshit, but it was not unusual for me to walk in at 3 a.m. in the field and say, hey, what's everybody doing? Because that's, that's part of the job, and that's, that's how I was trained, and that's how I tried to do it. I remember it was funny. I, uh, I refused to let them set up a special sleeping area. For me, sometimes they'll set up a like tent for the colonel, and I didn't want to do that. I thought that was a hassle. And it's important they know where you are so they can come get you. But I don't think I needed a tent because I was doing all my business in the uh, the, the main CP, main command post. And uh, I'm, I'm like lying there on the ground. You have a when when you have a sleeping area, you secure it, you tape it off, you put vehicles in the way because you don't want a truck driving over a bunch of people. Right? It's dark out there. People do stupid shit. So you, you have a designated sleeping area. People just aren't everywhere. Uh, in, in a garrison kind of environment. If you're out, you know, deployed in combat, it's different. So I'm sleeping there. Some guy trips over me. Hey, motherfucker, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, sorry, I guess I was in your way. He's like, oh, Colonel, sorry. But they kind of dug it because I was out there in the same conditions, which is how I was trained. It's not like Kurt had this genius idea. He's going to... Suffer the same things as troops did. That's not how it was. That was just how I did. I would have been embarrassed not to. I would have been embarrassed of my guys. I would have been embarrassed of my peers. All my, all the other, you know, colonels were going, "What the fuck's wrong with you, Kurt? Oh, you special?" I mean, look, some guys, you know, there were a few colonels. Or most of them were pretty good guys. A lot more at my wedding. I mean, I had a bunch of freaking colonels, guys who became colonels at my wedding. I think I was a major then. Anyway. I love being a battalion commander, which is why this is so meaningful for me. That the idea that you would take a group of your guys based on some immutable characteristic and declare them bad is so freaking alien and offensive. And it's such a breach of the trust. Because you have two jobs. Take care of your troops, accomplish the mission. That's what a battalion commander does. Take care of your troops, accomplish the mission. Sometimes, you know, mission comes first. Sometimes it's at the uh, cost to your guys. So, you know, you, you've got to treasure your guys. You've got to treat them uh, with respect. You've got to, uh, you know, you've got to uh, be in a place where you're, you know, doing the right thing all the time for your guys. And then this guy gets up and he trashes a group of his soldiers now, of course, the soldiers turned on. He, he got turned in by his troops. 
You know, his troops were like, oh, okay, Commander. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Like, a, like in Niedermeyer in uh, Animal House, right? Killed in Vietnam by his own troops. Dudes will fuck you. Here, let me, let me tell you a story about another battalion commander. Actually, I went to officer candidate school with her, right, back in 88. Uh, and um, I was active duty then. She was active duty. Now, I would have been out of 150 started, 97 graduated. I would have been the number one academically at officer candidate school all my tests and stuff. I was just good at that part. Except I invented a new kind of way to do land navigation that was wrong. So I had to redo it. I lost points and I was not number one. I was later number one at chemical officer basic course, uh, but I was not number one at uh, OCS. This, command, this, this woman was, and she became an aviator. And uh, I didn't really know her. She was in a different platoon. It was by by uh, uh, alphabetically, so I think we had like the P's to the T's in my section, my platoon. But uh, I started walking through uh, 40th Infantry Division base here in California. When I was in the guards like 15 years later, I was like, hey, hey, Colonel Blank, how you doing? I was in OCS with you. And she looks at me like I'm a piece of fucking garbage. She was there on an active duty tour, right? Active duty people come and they work with a guard full time. And she's just, blah, blah, blah. And, and she goes, I'm like, ow, what a fucking bitch. You know? I didn't think anything of it. She's an aviator. I wasn't going to deal with her much because she, you know, did helicopter stuff. She eventually became a battalion commander, goes to Iraq, and was a complete bitch to her troops. And her operational readiness rate of helicopters went from the required 90% to about 10%. Hey, ma'am. You know, number, uh, you know, uh, uh, Blackhawk A-52, uh, it's down, won't work, waiting on a part, can't work, and it went down. And, you know, the general's like, why is your unit not working? And she's getting desperate, and the warrant officers and the non-commissioned officers, hey, man, can't bring them up, don't have the parts, can't fix it, not in working. And eventually she got fired. And the minute she got fired, they put in the XO, immediately OR rate goes up to 90%. Your guys will fuck you. And they fucked this guy in uh, uh, Colorado. And they should have, because he's garbage. And he should have been relieved. And the fact that the Army has not relieved him is sending a message. You know that uh, uh, Austin, the uh, uh, general who went over to Raytheon and then he became uh, Secretary of Defense, he was talking to Tom Cotton in Congress just the other day. And Cotton says, are you aware of what Ibrahim Kendi, who, who's actually named Henry Rogers, uh, said he said the uh, uh, the uh, remedy for past discrimination is future discrimination. Present discrimination remedy for future discrimination is uh, present f discrimination is future discrimination. Do you agree with that? And you know the well, you know I don't really know. It sounds like it's out of context. I haven't really read it. Well, first of all, this piece of shit, Kendi slash Rogers, is on. Military reading list. Generals put out real. Here's some books you ought to read. They'll help you become a better officer. It's on reading list, okay? And to pretend that he doesn't know who Kendi is when he's like the most woke sec deaf ever is just a fucking lie. And he's like, well, you know, I'm not sure of the context. What's the fucking context where discrimination's okay? Please lay out a scenario where the context makes discrimination okay. I am fucking all ears, General. Okay, this is an army who has not won a war in 
plus years. I was in the last war the Army won. It was Desert Storm. I'll tell you, victory has a different feel. This is not a victory-focused military. You don't win by get. You don't get promoted by being victorious. Nobody's victorious. So there's no victories to leverage into career success. Instead, it's sucking up to the boss. The thing about the military is that if you... Troops do what the commander checks. Okay? I remember once, the brigade commander said to me, Kurt, we're focusing on maintenance. I said, Roger, sir, we're not going to field next week. I'm going to keep the guys here and do maintenance. I'm going to give up our training event to do maintenance because that's the priority. I don't get to set my priorities. I get to set my troops' priorities, but not mine. Mine is now maintenance. I'm going to do maintenance. Absolutely right. Okay? If the maintenance is wokeness, you will get wokeness. You will get plenty of wokeness. That is why the military changed so fast. Everybody's all surprised how it happened so fast. Because the guy at the top said so. That's the, the that's a two-edged sword of the military. The now the the other edge of the sword is when President DeSantis comes in and appoints a real sec def and fires all the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, puts in war fighters, and says, My priority is war fighting. That's what I'm going to check. And by the way, when I hear of incidents of wokeness, you're going to come explain to me how you're going to fix them. Uh, wokeness will go away. Combat readiness will come out. And I mean like on a fucking dime. That's the one good thing. Military is a hierarchical organization. It will change on a dime when the commander's priorities change. But the fact is, commander's priorities right now are not winning wars because the military doesn't win wars anymore. It is sucking up to the civilian chain of command by embracing wokeness. That's what it is. So this, this piece of shit in Colorado is absolutely perfect. He is the perfect amalgam. Now, he's, he's got stuff. He's got a, a combat infantry badge or combat action badge, some combat badge. He's got a ranger tab. I don't have either of those. Um, means he was shot at. Means he got a chance to go to ranger school and passed it. Uh, I did not get a chance to go to ranger school. But, uh, uh, and I don't know if I passed it. Like, come on. But uh, he seems on paper to have the stuff. And yet... He, he pulls this shit, and it's okay with the Army. This is why I'm so worried about the military. Now, if they want to drive out the kind of people who have conservative values, and if they want to put an environment that makes 70% of the population uh, feel unwelcome, who the fuck's going to fill out the military? Right? Military is a troops generally conservative-ish. Okay. If you drive those people out, who the fuck is going to man your military? And when you have a military that's like that, they're, they're not going to focus on warfighting. This is why I'm not, like, worried they're going to turn the military on us. Oh, yeah? How will we know? I mean, really, what, what are they going to do? Yeah, explain to me how you deploy the United States military to take control of the United States. We've got maybe 80 combat brigades. A combat brigade is probably sufficient to control a very small town you'd need. Well, hell, during the L.A. riots, where we did not have a guy on every street corner, we had like three divisions, which is like 12. 12 brigades. And, you know, we were running around. It wasn't like we were sitting on everything. So, let's see, you got about 80 brigades, 12 of them just in Los Angeles. 
Yeah, I need four more for, uh, five more for San Diego. And that's Los Angeles. That's not like the Inland Empire. That's not like Orange County. You, you physically don't have enough military anyway. And if you have a military that's not warfighting, it's really hard to use it as oppressive stormtroopers in a mass way. Focus your forces. But if you have a mass... Uh, I don't want to say insurrection because only fucking morons use that word anymore. But um, if you have, if you're trying to gain control of a mass area, it is just not enough. So that's kind of kind of thing. And uh, to to make it worse by taking the focus off combat arms, hey, that's fine. Can't be an instrument of tyranny because of gross incompetence, which I'm pretty excited about. So anyway, that guy should be fired. And uh, I'm hoping Ron DeSantis, uh, when he becomes president, because I think he will, uh, will uh, will fire him. Now, why do I think Ron DeSantis? What about President Trump? Ran an interesting article or interesting poll in Twitter. Now, you guys who follow me on Twitter, you know, you guys are woke. You guys are probably more conservative than usual, paying more attention than usual. Uh, I said, uh, uh, okay, no joke entry about uh, Brian Stelter being a potato this time. I want to know who do you want to run in 2024's GOP. President Trump, Ron DeSantis, uh, some other uh, cool GOP, or, and there are a few others, and then some, uh, you know, establishment hack like Christie, exclamation point, or Nikki, exclamation point, or Mitt, exclamation point. And it was 1% for the hacks, about 3% for someone else, uh, and about 52% for DeSantis, and about 46% for Trump. Trump was not the majority. I was stunned. I was actually very surprised by that, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of there too. You know, President Trump was right for the time. I am unsentimental about politicians, boot. You know, when you become suboptimal, when you are not the most likely to win, you need to move aside. I am not here about your feelings. I know you feel the election was ripped off, Mr. President, uh, and I agree. Uh, I think it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, rigged in three ways, cheating, uh, unlawful changes to election rules and a uh, media establishment that broke all the norms to intervene on behalf of your opponent. So I, I agree that this uh, election was BS. But, you know, I am here about winning in 2024. Are you the guy who can do it? If he is, I'm for him. If he's not, I'm not. Right now, I'm kind of leaning towards DeSantis. I think DeSantis is uh, showing a lot of the kind of focus that we need. He's not getting into side fights. Uh, he's, uh, uh, he is relentlessly achieving things. And he's forcing others to do it. You, know, you see Greg Abbott, who, frankly, had been kind of sloth-like. Uh, he's jumping on board because he knows that Ron DeSantis is setting a bar. Christy Nome fucked up listening to the Chamber of Commerce and Amazon and everything about transsexuals. And uh, uh, then she freaking tried to condescend to us explaining her way out of it. That didn't work. She is done as far as I'm concerned. She is she's not quite, I'm not quite never gnome, uh, like I am never Nikki Haley, who is Jeb Bush in a skirt, but uh, she's pretty bad. So I don't know if the president's going to run again. Uh, if he's most likely to win, I support him. If he's not, I'll support somebody else, and then I'll support the nominee. So that's kind of where I'm at. And then whoever comes in has got to be woke and needs to understand what needs to be done. Uh, exhibit A, the military. The military needs to change. That will involve a devotion and a 
uh, expenditure of time. He's got to spend time on it. Okay, it's not a side thing. It's not, well, Mr. President, you've got to meet with the uh, representatives of the Peanut Farmers of America for National Peanut Day. No, I'm taking an hour to bring the Joint Chiefs and staff in here and freaking rake them over the coals because some chaplain at Elmendorf Air Force Base was uh, punished because he said uh, he believes in Jesus. I'm going to bring them in here. They're going to spend an hour explaining to me in great detail, A, how they are going to uh, make it up to this uh, uh, abused uh, uh, a chaplain, and B, how they are going to ensure this shit never happens again. They're going to bring your de their deputies, too, in case their briefing is insufficient and I have to fire them. They will have the uh, deputy right there who will receive my intent and brief me the next day on how they are going to fulfill my intent. The devotion and uh, setting aside of time to achieve these things is vitally important. And that is also my time. I think we spent a lot of time together. I think we've uh, had an interesting time. Ooh, it's been long. God, I've gone like 33 minutes. This is more value to you. This is the kind of value you get from Town Hall VIP and me, Kurt Schlichter, on the Unredacted Podcast. Follow me on Twitter. Join my Locals community. I do a lot of stuff over there at Locals, uh, which uh, uh, that's where you can find all my stuff, links to all my stuff, including my Town Hall stuff. I'm going to be working on The Split today. Uh, which is the sixth Kelly Terminal novel. It's coming out in July, but you said it was going to be in June. Yeah, I know. I lied to you. Uh, do you want it right, or do you want it now? Okay? I'm going to work on it. In any case, uh, that's coming. Uh, got a lot of work to do on that, but it's looking great. So go get the other books, Star of People's Republic. And uh, I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. <laughs>